0: Well, everything is coming alive, right? And this year it seems, uh, before we even got out of February, things are coming alive. My, my peach tree and apple trees before we left February were already uh, blooming, which probably means in sometime in March there's going to be a freeze to wipe everything out. Uh, but I love this time of year as we watch everything get made new. And as we as a church uh, make our way towards Easter this month, we want to celebrate how we have been made new in Christ. Now, you know, there's something I think that, that we as Christians and particularly uh, we as preachers tend to do sometimes, and that is, and we speak Christian jargon that no one knows what we're talking about, right? We throw out words uh, out there and they're like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, we throw out words out there that may not even be in the Bible, but just kind of express these huge ideas and, and people that maybe weren't raised in church are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, I think that's a danger. I think we need to be careful and make sure that we're explaining uh, these words. But I think one uh, example where big words are just amazing and are needed, and that is uh, the big words that are used to express the theology of the cross, the theology of, of how what Christ did, how it affected us, how it made us new. Wonderful words like imputation and propitiation and justification and redemption. And these are words that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks as we talk about what Christ has done to make us new. Today, I want to start with this wonderful word of imputation. To sum up, before we uh, get into it, the word imputation is used to describe the mysterious exchange by which Christ became sin with our sin so that we may become righteous with his righteousness. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, we're going to uh, probably the most popular uh, verse that describes this, uh, this aspect of Christ's work on the cross and our salvation from it. Starting with verse 17, just to get the context. So, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us uh, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us who implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now listen, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, guys, we look at this amazing concept of imputation. God, it's a big word, but God, it has a huge bearing on our everyday life. And God, just help us to be moved. Help us to understand exactly what you've done. God, many of us have been saved for years and years. And God, some, some truths, God, we just haven't quite understood how they apply every day. And God, I pray that you would do that with imputation this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's an incredibly, imputation is an incredibly important word. In fact, uh, when the, when the, some folks got together for the Council of Trent in the 1500s, to kind of try to maybe bridge the gap between Catholicism and Protestantism, and, and they were kind of trying to see if they could get back on the same page. It was the word imputation it was the word that kind of sent them packing, saying we're, we're just not going to agree on, on some key doctrines. And so imputation is important for who we are, our willingness as Protestants to stand by that word, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, his righteousness uh, given to us and, and put on our account. The first of the two imputations that we want to talk about this morning is our sins imputed to Christ. The imputation of our sin to Christ, this is the act by which our sins are placed on Christ. As our text says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. 1 Peter 2:24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Hebrews 9, 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So Christ took upon himself our sin. Our sin was made Christ's sin. And for that to happen, there were several things that that were required. First, it was required the absence of Christ's own sin the absence of his own sin christ had to be without sin so that he could bear our sin first peter 1 19 says but with the precious blood of christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot in the old testament sacrificial system you pick the best sheep you look for the one that didn't have anything wrong that perfect uh sheep the best that you had And so that scripture says in the same way it was very important that it couldn't just be some guy off the street. It had to be the perfect God man that had no sin, that was absolutely set apart in his holiness. First Peter two twenty two says he committed no sin; neither was deceit found in his mouth. I mean, we see uh, in in the the time of his of his uh, of his judgment and and when when he was passed around to all the authorities and really i mean they kept finding him innocent they kept going there's this guy doesn't deserve death and and they pass him on to somebody else and yet he died though he was innocent first john 3 5 says you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin if christ had had, had his own sin Well, he would have had to pay for his own sin. Like, he could not have paid for what we have done because he'd be paying for what he had done. That wouldn't be be just for him uh, to pay for sins that he did and sins that we did. He couldn't do it if that was the case. Because Christ had no sin of his own, he was able to be our substitute and stay in our, stand in our place and receive the punishment for our sin. Second, it required the bearing of our sins. Every sin that we have committed or will commit was placed upon Christ. So much so that this verse actually says that he became sin. Even though he didn't know sin, he became sin. That's how real our sins were placed upon him. Think about that for a moment. How, often, how serious do you really take your sin? Because when we think about the, the, the death of Christ so often, we just say, he died for the sins of the world. It's almost like we want to just put this big blob of sin, of ugliness upon Christ, and that's what he died for. That's what was placed on him. But we got to get more personal than that. Yesterday, when you lost your cool with your wife and kids, that was placed upon Christ. Last week, when you visited that website again, that sin was placed upon Christ. Last week, when you had that moment of of laziness, okay, where you got on YouTube for three hours and you stole time from your boss, that sin was placed upon Christ. Christ your prayerlessness last week that was placed upon Christ it wasn't a mass of nameless sin it was your sin if you've come to know Jesus Christ and it's every sin that you've committed and every sin that you're gonna commit so don't look at your sin and laugh it off or pretend like it's something that you don't need to deal with because every time you go back to that same sin you are increasing The suffering that Christ endured. We're adding to the sufferings that Christ endured. We're affecting that every day that we don't deal with our sin or take it seriously. And lastly, it, it required the wrath of God to be turned to Christ. Now, I'm really going to have to have to hold back here because this is where we're going next week when we talk about propitiation, so I'm not going to go deep in, in this, but come back next week, uh, and we're going to talk about the fact that there was more than, this was more than, than nails, it was more than a cross, it was more than, than crowns and a spear. It was more than just those things going on. The, the Son of God actually faced the wrath of his father. Despite the fact of his perfection, despite the fact of him not having any sin, he received in himself the punishment for our sins. And there was a great, horrible separation when God had to turn away as his son paid and had those sins placed upon himself. He did this to remove the wrath of God from us. So now let's look at the other side of the imputation. This is, this is why many pe- theologians talk about the fact that it's double imputation, uh, that it's not only our sin placed upon Christ, it's also his righteousness placed upon us, the imputation of Christ's righteousness. So our verse here says, For our sake he made him to be no sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only were our sins removed from us, but the righteousness of Christ was placed upon us. And this required some things as well. It was required because we needed more than forgiveness. Our salvation, our justification before God requires more than just the forgiveness of sin it requires more than just the removal of sin it requires righteousness Matthew 5 20 says this "For I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven so we can't just be sinless we also need to be righteous The removal of sin simply makes us morally neutral beings. It's as if we have a million dollars of debt, right? And just no hope of paying it back. And someone comes along and says, I'm writing off that debt, I'm paying that debt for you, a million dollars. What does that do? That puts you at zero, which is awesome when you consider that you were a million dollars in debt, right? I mean, you would be absolutely just grateful that for that person. You would feel like you owed them their life, but the reality remains. You're still a zero, right? You still got nothing. You still got to think about how am I going to pay for my food today and tomorrow? This double imputation, the fact that Christ sins were not only taken away but that his righteousness was placed upon us this is the someone coming to you taking care of the debt that you have and then writing cutting you a a billion dollar check and letting you put it in the bank well now we're getting somewhere right now i never have to worry about anything i have no problems and that is what imputation does it not only takes away our debt it gives us all of this righteousness of Christ in our lives. You know, the old bumper sticker, uh, you know, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. I mean, I understand, I understand what that bumper sticker's saying, right? I mean, it's, it's show, trying to show some humility, showing, and it's true that we as Christians aren't perfect, but it's, absolutely inadequate to describe what we as christians have truly experienced because we have not just been forgiven we've been married perfect we've been made righteous we have been placed in christ we have been united with christ when god looks upon you he does not simply see a sinless individual he sees Christ and we must realize that just uh that it's not just the importance of the death of Christ but we there's an importance in the life of Christ Christ had to live an active obedience towards the father on our behalf if it was just about the death of Christ right If it was just about his death like the son could have just boom hit the hit the uh Hit the earth for Passion Week, right? Got there, come into Jerusalem, uh, do the do his death, and and boom, everything's taken care of, right? If it was just simply about dying that death to remove our sins, but to achieve for us perfect righteous, righteousness, to be put on our account, he had to be born. He had to grow. He had to face temptation, and then to be obedient unto death so that all the righteousness, all that righteousness could be placed upon us. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Why was this important? Why did why did Christ at the at the beginning of his earthly ministry, why why was it the first thing that he did? Why did he go and have a battle royale of temptation with the devil? Why do you have to go out there and face uh, uh, being being hungry and uh, and fasting, and then facing in that weakness facing the devil with those three temptations? Was it just to show us how it was done? That no, was much more than that, because he was the second Adam, where adam absolutely failed in his temptation jesus needed to absolutely succeed on our behalf so that as death as we read in the scriptures as death came through adam's sin so christ with his his standing against temptation could purchase for us righteousness to be given to our account it's crucial Because just as our disobedience was placed upon Christ, Christ's obedience is placed upon us. And Christ's obedience was not based upon theory, but upon actual events, right? Not just in this temptation against Satan, but in his daily obedience as he he kept standing up for the truth and teaching the truth, as he uh, every day uh, uh, healed people, of fed people that were hungry. Those acts were not just simply, hey, I'm going to show you how to live your life. That's part of it. That's absolutely part of it so we can see how a righteous man lives. But it was about him living a righteous life that could be placed upon us through imputation at our salvation. Philippians 2.8 says he he was obedient to the end and being found in human form He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His everyday acts of obedience was crucial um, so that those acts could be imputed to us. Thirdly, it required that the Father confirm his pleasure in the life of his Son. Now, the Father shows up just like all good fathers do. Uh, from time to time in the life of Christ, just to say how how amazing his son is. Okay we see this first at his uh, baptism in Matthew 3:17. And behold a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased." We see it at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew seventeen five. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And we see it, lastly, uh, in his earthly life, in the resurrection and the rece- receding of him on his throne. Ephesians one twenty. he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, so this was the Father ultimately saying, he did it. Every, every act of obedience uh, that I gave, every, every, every moment of, that I said, do this, he did it. He did it with perfection, and he did it with holiness. And he was a, he was pleased with him every step of the way. So Christ lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father. In every step of the way, the pleasure of the Father was over him. And this life that he lived was just as important to our salvation, folks, as the death he died. Just as important. Because all of the righteous act of obedience to the Father is placed upon us so that all the pleasure that the Father has in the Son is now ours. So every time he says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, that's now applied to everyone who's in Christ through salvation. Wow! Isn't that not amazing? Not only in the imputation of our sin to Christ is there, as Romans 8, 1 says, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say uh, a few verses later in verse 17, We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. We're in Him. Do you understand? Not only do we avoid the wrath of God, we are also given the absolute pleasure and goodwill that the Father has towards the Son. That the way He looks upon Christ is the same way He looks upon Upon all of the people who have trusted him as Savior. No wonder they call it the good news. No wonder. So, what does imputation mean for our lives? Okay, great. You you've taught us this big this big word. Um, Christ's righteousness was uh, was given to us. Our sins were given to to Christ, but. What does it mean to me as I head off to work tomorrow? I mean, what does it mean? Like, that's what you want to know from, from preaching, right? Is, like, what does this mean for me tomorrow when I'm getting the kids ready for school? Well, let's look at, I want us to just look at three things uh, that imputation means for us tomorrow morning when we wake up to go about our lives. Imputation means that when you wake up tomorrow morning, God loves you, as much as you can possibly be loved. And when you go to bed tomorrow night, he loves you the same regardless, regardless of how you perform that day. You know, Paul chastises the Galatians in uh, Galatians 3.1. He says, "'No foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. "'It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ "'was publicly portrayed as crucified.'" Let me ask you only this. Did you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What he's saying there is, are you so foolish that you began as you looked upon Christ and what he has done for you and the fact that he took your sins and you were not justified because of who you are, or what you had done, you were justified because of what he who he is and what he had done. And now you suddenly are beginning to forget that. You're beginning to forget that. And you're beginning to find other ways that you think makes God more uh, uh, makes you more approved in the sight of God. Listen to me, folks. Tomorrow, if you do your quiet time, if you wake up and you pray. If you wake up tomorrow and you read your, read your Bible, let me tell you something, that is awesome. That is what you should be doing. And that is what is going to grow you into who God has called you to be. But it will not make God love you more than if you got rushed and you couldn't. Your position isn't based on your performance. The fact that you listen to Caleb is awesome, but that doesn't make God like you more because his love for you, his approval for you is based upon what Christ has done on your behalf. That your sins have been removed, you've been given the righteousness of Christ. Don't mean it was Christ's righteousness that got you in God's good graces, and it's, it's Christ's righteousness that's going to keep you in God's good graces until your glorification. You're not going to move on and figure out other ways to make him love you more. He loves you as much as he possibly could. So with that in mind, let's talk about a danger that we can have with this, with this wonderful truth, and, and that, that is that imputation means that when you wake up tomorrow morning You have been given positional holiness so that you can pursue practical holiness. What in the world does that mean? Positional holiness is what happens in justification when your sins are placed upon Christ and his righteousness is placed upon you. This eternally, forever, puts you in judicially good standing with God. And there's nothing that's going to change that. You are before god absolutely approved and righteous as jesus christ himself so does that mean that it doesn't matter what i do does it does it mean that day to day i can just do what i want because i'm right before god well this is where practical holiness comes in that because of our union with christ there is a desire awakened in us there is a spirit that is placed in us that's going to help us grow into our position right i mean we're made we have this position of holiness it's the spirit and it's it's that daily grind of of really working hard in god's strength that he's given to us that helps us to grow in to the uniform so to speak when we start out i mean we we man we got this I mean, we got the rank. I mean, we are the cho- we are gods. We belong to Christ. But, the, but it doesn't fit. The uniform doesn't quite fit. And practical, but it's ours. Like, the rank is ours. It's us. We are saints. We are righteous in his sight. But maybe it doesn't fit so well. And practical holiness is about God helping us to grow into that as we live our lives, we, we achieve more practical holiness because of our positional holiness that he's given to us. And if you say, if you can honestly say that, man, I love this imputation stuff because it's all on Christ and so I can do whatever I want to do. I can just go live my life wherever I want to live it. If that is your attitude, You've never come in contact with the imputation. I just I, I search the scriptures. I don't see someone. I mean, there may be a there may be a season when when some of that creeps into your life, but by and large, for you to have a God that doesn't sit there with a gun of His wrath to your head, threatening you, you better do right. You better do what you're supposed to do. You better read your Bible. You better listen to Caleb or I'm going to hit you with my wrath. The fact that God would not do that, but totally remove the wrath, totally remove the threat and say, I love you in Christ. For you to spit in the face of that kind of love and, and then try to say that you somehow are a Christian, I just don't think that exists. I don't, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's in a Christian's life to look at imputation and look at it as an opportunity to go do what you want to do. Thirdly and lastly, imputation means that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you have good news for those who are absolutely blowing it. Jesus said in Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Folks, we have a gospel for those who just, and they're hurting. And and we don't have a gospel that says, because this wouldn't be gospel, this wouldn't be good news to say Go clean yourself up and then come to God. Go get some stuff right and then come to God. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is that we have a God that wants you, that will accept you where you are, and then will change you. And one of the best examples of this is a story by Matt Chandler uh, on what imp- imputation means as we look to carry the Uh, gospel to the lost world i want you to hear it in his words if we can get this going So this morning, I just want to say you as maybe you have wandered in here and and you've never believed the gospel, you've never trusted Christ as as your Savior because you think you're not worthy of it and because you think you've made a wreck of things, I want you to know something, that Jesus wants the rose. No matter how messed up, no matter what you've done, that's what the gospel is, the imputation where he takes the penalty of those sins, and he gives you his righteousness, and then he helps you to change and grow in to uh, that wonderful rose that you want to be. And I would say to you, Christian, uh, just to every day to live in the truth of what Christ has done and don't, don't ever question, like, does he love me? He loves you because you're in Christ. But how many people in your life really need to hear what Chandler just said and what we're talking about this morning that, I mean, can you think of people in your life that are like that messed up rose, that just needs to hear this wonderful message of imputation, somebody you you work with or a family member? I would encourage you this week to, uh, to begin or to, to take them aside and talk to them about Imputation and talk to them. You don't have to use that word, but just tell them what Christ has done to take away their sin and to make them righteous. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. You just respond however God is is placed on your heart. I'll be right here if you if you come here and you know that you've never had all this imputation go on in your life. I'd love to talk to you about that and how to make that happen. uh, Let's pray dearly father god thank you so much for imputation god thank you so much that you took our sins so that we would no longer experience your wrath god you went beyond god you put your son's righteousness on us so that not only do we not have your wrath we have your absolute pleasure god just help us to live that out Help us to just every day live a thankful life for the gospel and and what it means. And God, help us to take it to a world that so much needs this message of imputation, that they're not beyond the love of God, because this is what the love of God does. God, help us to be desperate to give other people that message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.